Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Betting People with a titan of the industry. Now, those of you who know industry bigwigs and who are familiar with the top faces in the game will be aware of my guest, Connor Grant, who is the chief executive of Flutter UK and Ireland, who is outgoing. So as the industry loses the titan, um, I have the privilege of sitting down with Connor today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, William. Very kind of the title tag, and I may challenge that. Very kind. Um, well, I think entirely deserved. And speaking of that, um, I want to start with a question um, based around the exploits of another big achiever in the betting game, Ralph Topping, um, because many people said after he worked his way to the top that that's the thing could be done again. Um, and I want to ask you, somebody who has worked their way to the very top, what advice would you have for young people entering the betting industry? I think the first thing is, um, and certainly I have a great passion for sport. And I think if you're going to enter the betting industry, and obviously there's betting, sports betting and gaming, they're two different angles to the sector. But I think having a passion for sport helps you so much because it means you come in every day and you enjoy your job. And there hasn't been a day when I haven't enjoyed my job <clears throat> at all. Uh, and I think the joy of working in this industry is how dynamic, how much it changes the calendar, the sporting calendar. We can be getting ready for Cheltenham three weeks later. Usually we're getting ready for the Grand National end of the football season in the start. And you have so many events like this that really help drive that engagement and, and, and interest. You know, the other advice, piece, main piece of advice I give anybody is you've got to work hard. Uh, you've got to try and learn all the aspects of the business because there's so many. Uh, and I think that's absolutely critical. Get in, be prepared to do, learn every aspect of what we do in the sector. Uh, and I think that will help you go a long way. Um, you manage or you've been managing quite a lot of people um, in your time uh, at the head of Flutter. Um, and that means, you know, quite a few big decisions to be made. Um, how do you deal with that pressure? How do you deal with that scale of responsibility? Look, it's not it's not just on one individual that's the reality uh, the, the accountability and, and the responsibility all ultimately stops but it's what, what's critical to it is building a good team around you <clears throat> and when you're operating in a business you know we've got four business four brands in our portfolio in the uk you know nearly five and a half thousand people excluding our, our retail colleagues so what you have to do is really have a brilliant team around you to share the you know the responsibility and really drive the business forward there is days when it does feel <clears throat> like the weight of the world is on your shoulders there's absolutely no doubt about that and some of the more uh hurry moments are when the the, the liabilities can run into multi-millions uh but it's all part of the you know the business and then particularly in results results come and go at the end of the day and you have to take the long-term view and all of these things so you try to eliminate that and I think if you're doing the right thing as a business and you've got the right team behind you, ultimately that is the shares the burden of responsibility and you come together to really deliver the strategy of the business. Um, you said some hairy moments there. Um, have you got any in particular um, that you can bring to mind? Uh, the one, the, the more recent one that sticks out is obviously Frankie at Ascot. I'd been there on the Wednesday. Uh, and was coming back on the Thursday, traveling back up north. Uh, probably had one glass of Guinness too many and the night before, uh, or a pint of Guinness, I should say, um, the night before. And uh, when I got home, he was four in and um, 
and we were watching uh, the, the fifth race and it was like, sorry, one five, wasn't it? It was the sixth race, apologies. Uh, memory, memory's escaping me. And um, it was just one of them moments where you're thinking, what's happening here? Um, what, what's going to happen? And, you know, the, the numbers were pretty big. And then obviously the following days, everyone was getting on the Frankie, Frankie factor uh, and, and everyone was doing their, their multiples and, and some of the liabilities were enormous. And, you know, we took some decisions to protect the business at the time. Um, but yeah, that was definitely one of the biggest. The other day is obviously one that doesn't get a lot of publicity, but it's the end of the season, the last day of the season. And Boxing, and boxing Day are the two big days when all the fixtures, there's a consistency, particularly in the Premier League, of when all the clubs kick off. That can create some uh, big moments for businesses, but invariably we get the right results. Um, you said that there were decisions taken to sort of protect the business. Um, what sort of thing would a firm do when you know, a lot of favourites are winning on a big day when there is a Frankie factor or, for example, five of the big six, say, of one and the other member in the Premier League is about sevens on. You, you know, what do you do sort of in the heat of the moment or is it something that's sort of been pre-rehearsed and talked through with traders, etc.? Look, obviously, as a business, we've got our liabilities and how we manage them and we have to uh, but the reality is when five or six horses go in on a day of the same there's not a lot you can do the damage is is done at that point yes you can hedge to a degree but it's not really beneficial to the business and a business the size and scale certainly a flutter now we, we would take a view that we, we we just have to take it and, and 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 see where it gets to but obviously what we have to do is make sure as, as the day unfolds sort of making we have the right visibility of our liabilities and, and really making sure that you know we're managing the risk accordingly and i think that's the critical bit and i think that's where it's been big progression certainly in, in sort of the technology over the last five ten years that we, we get much clearer view of, of the liabilities uh, that we're incurring as a business um just going back sort of through career progression have there been any sort of key moments for you um, at, at your stage developing, you know, sort of a leader in the betting industry working your way through, or has it just been a case of rising through the ranks slowly but surely and sort of chipping your way to the top of the mountain? I think when you reflect back in your career, there's always some moments, um, and there is a couple that stand out. Certainly one for me that in uh, 2003, I had been running Paddy Power telephone betting business, um, you know, going back that long, uh, it was a small telephone, a oh, small, we had 150 seaters in our call centre and I was working with a great guy called Alan Kerr, who had been, who was an industry veteran. And then I moved to work for Brian Corcoran and he was just a phenomenon. Uh, he was, I'd never met anyone like him. You know, the guy, he's a brain the size of a football and he just brought this energy and uh, zeal to the business and he assessed it and he really got behind it and he was a very, uh, inspirational guy to work for and that, that was a point where you thought mm, there's a lot more you can do with this you know he was coming in and transfer transforming paddyparter.com at that point in time and it was a it was a really interesting part of you know certainly in my career moving to skybet in 2010 uh, was definitely a big decision um because we had been working in london for blue square been commuting back and forth to London. My first son was born and ended up working in Ireland for a while for both sports for two years, and that didn't quite work out. Um, so I made the jump back to uh, Yorkshire and, and to Leeds to, to work for Skybet. They had just moved from Harrogate to Leeds, and that was really at the 
at the <clears throat> early stages of the Skybit um, sort of transformation as well. And it was it was a really interesting time. You know, they'd moved to Leeds, they were moving to it being much more digital business, mobile first, and started to get behind Super Six uh, with Sky Sports. The relationship with Sky Sports, there was some seeds of momentum. Uh, Richard Flint had been building a team around at that time, and I, I was really lucky to join it in 2010. Then I joined the leadership team in 2011, and they, they were really sort of big decisions when I look back and moments of my career it's like yeah they were really transformative for me probably the one that stands out though and I don't think you mind me saying this is in 2015 uh Richard Flint was my boss at the time um and we were look we were owned by private equity at the time we weren't quite knowing what direction we were talking about IPO um and Richard was like I'm not sure if you're going to be in the business in the future and I was like oh it's a bit of a shock um, the system and um, you know we talked a lot about what I needed to do and, and I, at that point I really started to invest quite a lot in myself and developing and listening and trying to really change who I was as a leader and that that conversation was a catalyst for a lot of progression I often I meet Richard regularly now and uh, we often talk about it and he can't quite remember the conversation with the same impact as I do but uh, it was definitely one of those moments when I think yeah it really helped me as an individual uh, and Richard was a brilliant boss and uh, really helped guide me uh, through them, you know, early years of lead, senior leadership and uh, was very, very helpful. Um, what three things, I, I've settled the number three that you might have more, um, have you sort of learned that, you know, you really take away as sort of big life lessons through this period, through everything from Dialabet to, well, where you are now? Big question, William. Uh, life lessons. Number one is don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, you know, I, I, you meet a lot of people in the course of, of, of business and life. And, and I think I, I, I particularly, am, I, I think building relationships and connections with people throughout the organization is, is a must. And if you want to progress in any life, you have to treat people with respect. And that's my number one thing, treating people with respect. Um, and I think that is because it's such it's the catalyst to so many things, uh, you know, really treating uh, people with respect. And I think it's hugely, hugely important. I think the second thing I would say is, you know, when things are tough and, and you know, for the last sort of 10, 15 years, if you've worked in online in the UK, it's been pretty good. There's been lots of growth as we had the migration from retail onto into mobile. And, um, but I think when things are tough and, and, and they are, I think what's really important is to not lose sight of the fact that they'll end, the, time, the tough times end. And it's sometimes a lot quicker than you think. And then when you're in them moments, I think the important thing is not to do anything rash and just let the time play out. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time to work through, other times it happens quite quick. But when you're in that moment, it is quite stressful, it is difficult, and this can be in any part of your life. It doesn't have to be about work. I think it's just try and not do anything rash. I think it's really important because tough times end. I know it's cliche, but they do. Um, I think making sure you you know you remain in part of that. I think is is, is the, the thing. And then I think you know life lessons. You know, obviously surround yourself with good people. Whether that's you know it doesn't matter family, friend, partner, wife, husband, whatever. You know that's 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 what life's really all about, isn't it? You know the connections you make in the your loved ones at the end of the day you a job is a job for me and then for everybody but ultimately when you finish work who are you with you're with your loved ones and i think really sort of you know building great friendships and then and, and 
you know, really focusing on your family, I think they're hugely important. They would be the three things I would sort of bucket up as a big life lesson, certainly from, from my perspective. I think it's a very powerful, well-said sentiment and a great place to end part one of Bending People. Connor, thank you for your time and thank you for watching. Hello and welcome back to Bedding People with Connor Grant. Now, Connor is the outgoing Chief Executive of Flutter um, UK and Ireland, and they have under their wing Betfair, Paddy Power and Skybet. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, first of all, people do talk about Betfair an awful lot um, for, for many different reasons, and I wanted to know, you know where do you think I'm not saying you alone, but where do you think the company is in terms of, and the product is as you sort of exit stage left? And what do you think the future holds for Betfair and the platforms? Look, I think we've been working on the platform for quite a while uh, and we're probably behind. We know we recognize that it needs um, updating um, and, and particularly it's, a, it's in need of it. And we've been investing and it. it's taken us much longer than we would have liked. I think, you know, more broadly, I think the exchange has an important role to play uh, in, in the business mix and then and within our products, um, particularly when you think about UK horse racing and, and the role and the disruptive role that Betfair played uh, in, in the, certainly in the last decade and really transforming the betting landscape. Some people see it as positive. Some people see, see it as negative. Me, myself, I think it's a, it's a, it's a big positive. And I think if you cast your mind back at the time, you know, Betfair transformed in play. It brought cash out, you know, it, it brought differentiators to the market and it's lost some of that to a degree. Um, and I think, but it, it had it had that early disruptor advantage. And I think it was it was hugely important. I think in terms of the business today, it has it has been more challenging, you know, and there's no doubt about that. And as a result of that, um, from a UK perspective, I think internationally the exchange is, is doing really well and we're bringing it to new territories and it's providing great liquidity. And, you know, it, it, you think about it, um, the scale of the exchange and, and the, the amount that we've seen, it was over a billion matched on the last US election. It was just quite phenomenal. Um, and that really was the exchange at the heart of what it's all about. People coming, matching their opinions and backing it, they're laying it. And it was phenomenal. Um, and the the exchange, you know, in so many respects, it set the price in totality for, for the US election at that time. And particularly the, the strange election that was with Biden and then subsequently Trump challenged it. But it, it, it's a hugely important part of our mix. It has got, as I said, the challenges, but, you know, what we have to do is we've got to continue to provide a service uh, that customers want to use. Uh, and, you know, in, in recent times, we've obviously had lots more regulation uh, for, for our customers and, and particularly for professional punters who don't necessarily have a source of income. It's quite hard to explain that to the, to the regulators. Um, you know, the role of the exchange, uh, it, is, it is a niche product, but it's, it's, it's a very important product and something that we want to continue to develop uh, and, and continue to grow in. Um, you said about the new territories. Um, is it which new territories in particular are doing well, and do you plan to sort of go anywhere else with it? Um, and as a follow-on question from that, one thing people do mention a lot is liquidity. Um, they mention a lot of liquidity. I notice it tends to be, um, forgive me if I'm wrong here, but it tends to be a UK-based complaint uh, about low liquidity in markets. So, what's the plan to sort of try and combat that? Yeah, look. 
the first part of your question, you know, Latham and it's definitely an area of growth for us. Uh, and obviously we're very conscious we're a regulated business and we have to be you know, clear about the markets that we're going into. Um, but th there is opportunity in other parts of the world. And sometimes, you know, I've only ever worked in the UK and uh, Irish markets. We can be a little bit parochial in this part of the world and there is a global betting market out there. And I think the exchange has an important role to, role to play that. And we've seen that recently in, with the, the, the Indian Premier League cricket, you know, the APL, it was phenomenal, the, the, the volumes that we were doing through that, through that as well. I think in terms of the UK, yes, look, there is... Uh, a challenge there there's no, no no doubt getting away from that and that's part of the you know the increased um scrutiny that we're under as a business from the regulator and we have to we have to adhere to them sanctions and you know the regulations and, and fundamentally um you know customers it's difficult to explain to them sometimes it really is but we we have to follow this and, and that's the li the license that we operate under and in some instances we do have to because there isn't suitable uh, source of funds and, and proof of funds, we, we can't continue. And it's really difficult because uh, it's something that we need to do more. We need to educate more on the regulator side in particular, you know, people that are professional punters, and I know them personally, some of them, um, you know, they don't have a fixed income in, in the truest form of sense, but the reality is <clears throat> as a sector, it's where we find ourselves in the UK and, and we have to, as a business that wants to do the right thing, we have to adhere to it. Um, just on the regulation, um, I believe uh, that you have, and this is across Flutter, um, set a soft check of about £500 net deposits uh, per month for quite, quite a few players. Um, do you hope that's where any sort of future ruling in a gambling review might land and what effect has it had uh, on the business so far for those who, who have been tagged with that amount? Look, there's a couple of answers to that question. The first one is, who, who knows where we're going to end up with the white paper? We've been waiting on it, and particularly we've now we've got the white paper part of the gambling, and we've also got an affordability consultation with the gambling commissioner. On it. So it's dangerous to speculate uh, on on uh, specific amounts. I think what I would say, I, I don't quite know where you got that number from, but I just wonder, is it being conflated with the under 25s uh, where we put the 500 uh, pound limit in uh, monthly limit? I think that that might be good because our view is that it has to be risk based, William. Um, you know, the, the profile of a 21 year old versus someone, uh, I'll take myself, 44, 45, but I'm, I'm cheating there, I'm 46 now. Um, you know we've got different risk profiles ultimately yeah. and, and i think affordability as blanket measures is fundamentally flawed if we're all if we are really getting to the hub of how do we re reduce harm affordability is an important piece and i think it, it's a responsible thing to do uh, and i know there's lots of debate and it depends where you sit on the spectrum on it uh, but fundamentally i think it is the right thing to do but it can't be overly intrusive and it, but it equally it has to help the the us as a sector, make sure that we're doing our bit to minimise harm. And I think that's fundamentally where we have to go with it. Do you think from what you've read of the white paper, what you've heard of it, um, that the intentions are correct, that you know, the right areas are being looked at and some of the proposed solutions will be a net positive um, rather than, you know, sort of misplaced energy that doesn't help anybody. 
you certainly hope so uh, that it is in the right area. And, and look, uh, fundamentally, this is about it's a really difficult challenge for the government because they, this is a, a you know conservatives and Tory governments they're not an interventionist government. But what we're really getting to the heart of here is the choice of individuals. We get on one extreme we have. Do you intervene at particularly low levels and make decisions and tell people what to do, or do you give people the freedom of choice? And it's a very philosophical part of the, the, the you know, it depends where you ultimately sit on the philosophical debate. But what we do know is the people, and there is harm being created as a result of this, and there has been plenty of cases, and we've got to do more to address that. So you would, you, you would hope the outcome would be that as a sector that we can have a massive reset uh, of you know the gambling act uh, in, in particular resets our sector you know the the original 2005 act it was written at a time you know by alan budd in 2001 came into into force in 2005 i should say but you know that predated smartphones predated social media so we need modern legislation that reflects how the sector has changed and we need that to be not and we need it to be evidence-based and we need it to be substantive in that it allows us to grow the businesses over the next three, five, ten years without having to revisit. So would I be hopeful? It, it's yes, I would. Uh, but it's taken much longer than any of us would have liked. That's been hasn't been helped. And as a man who loves politics yourself, you've got so much political change. We've had three ministers uh, inside 18 months. We've had change of government, you know, so it's um, a prime minister, I should say. So it, it, it's difficult to ascertain where we come. We, we we're in a state of flux and we need it addressed and we need the white paper out there. But let's be quite clear, the white paper is only a moment in time. It's not a defining moment in time because I think we will move through this. And I think what the big interesting question that's going to come out of the white paper for us all is, is, is fundamentally how much primary legislation, if any, will be contained in that. Because if there is plenty of primary legislation, that will lead us into a further state of flux. Uh, so I think what we really need to do is get the white paper out, let's get our views clear, let's see what's contained, and let's try and start implementing some of these changes so the sector as a whole can clear up its image and do more to protect consumers and really drive the business forward. Um, just to switch uh, to something a bit different, but um, Paddy Power still has a fair few shops um, going about the place and um, it's been a moment of change for, well, it's been quite a few years of change for how people bet. Um, what do you think the future holds for betting shops, particularly um, with online betting likely to get a big regulatory change, let's say, within the next 18 months? Now we, we, we discuss this many times and then think, I personally think retail has still got a strong future and, and a part to play. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I have retail estates in the UK and Ireland, uh, and it's really interesting. There's very little differences in the countries, but the differences that we're seeing coming through in, in, in retail is, is quite stark. Obviously, in Ireland, there's no such thing as fob tees, and it tends to be a lot more sociable experience. And um, in the UK, you know, we, we continue to grow our shop, our footprint. I think retail has retail has the potential to be slightly less intrusive for consumers uh, than, than the online world but i think as we move away from sort of more cash-based society to cards does that impact i think 
over the next three to five years for retail, what we need to see is an evolution of the bet in the shop experience. Um, we're not going to have a US style uh, retail experience in the UK. A, we don't have the premises and, and B, just not going to happen. But I think what we will see is that there, you know, we, we've experienced a number of closures in shops over the last few years, but I think very much dependent on what happens on the retail high street uh, and in the more broader retail high street. I think retail continues to to be an important component of the, of the mix of, of all Ben company. And I think that that's not going to change. Um, 15, 20 years, it's very hard, but then none of us would want to be speculating that far down the line. And uh, as a sort of follow-up question, uh, do you think that, um, say, and this is, again, it's quite a hypothetical situation, but do you think, say, if there are really intrusive backward kind of grants um, for the third part of this many people interview, and I just want to talk a bit more about um, your own hunting experiences, um, because I presume you do bet, um, and I'm informed that uh, you've been involved in racing ownership before? Yes, um, I love betting, um, I love racing. Uh, I'm not a particularly successful punter, uh, but that's not the point for me. It's a, it's about fun. Um, <clears throat> I, I really do enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I, I tends to be at the weekends when I have a little bit of downtime and I'm watching the racing uh, or maybe have the odd football bet. I'm not, not particularly serious better by any stretch of imagination. Um, but, you know, I was at York at the Ebor last Saturday. I'll, I'll, I'll bet in every race like every other mug. Uh, and I know there'll be lots of people out there, particularly the pros that watch this going, oh my God. You know, but for me, punting, having a bet is my outlet. It's a bit of fun for me. Uh, I don't take it into too seriously uh, and I enjoy it. Uh, I, mean, I enjoy it. I've seen uh, Alan Bowden had a, had a Twitter poll, which he's very fond of. Uh, this week asking four questions was it the anticipation was it the sweat was it the result of the afternoon and you know the it's really the combination of, of it all and um, i think it, it just <clears throat> it makes you know there's two elements to it i don't need to sit down and watch a game to have a bet to make a, a game more enjoyable but when racing is my passion and it's what i enjoy and i like having a bet on the racing on a saturday and you know that it's 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 really good fun um on that uh, and particularly racing how do you think the the game is at the moment in the uk and i specifically there have been a lot of debates about the health of the sport things such as the fixture list um things such as sort of the betting quality um of certain events and horses moving overseas or whatever and you know do you worry about the state of the sports um is that something that weighs on your mind yes i do because i you know i talked to a lot of people in racing uh, and um, I think what, what we all need to be very cognizant of, I think in the past, racing, it's quite, there's multiple stakeholders and it makes it very complex to get agreements easily uh, in racing. But I think none of us can deny the fact that we're faced with some of the biggest challenges that the racing sector has had uh, for a long time. And, and, you know, I think we've got the issue of scheduling, um, you know, the dwindling horse racing population, the effect of regulation potentially on, on the sector. And I think there is a lot that we need to really consider and be very mindful. And I think racing itself has the opportunity to be much more transparent. You know, in 2021, 360 million pounds was put into racing uh, across all of, <clears throat> you know, the bookmaking industry from marketing, sponsorship, levy, media rights, the whole, the whole lot. 
that's like an enormous amount of money. Um, and you know, but yet prize money is only 160 million. And it's like, how, how, how do we equate this? How, how do we continue to invest in this sport? Um, how do we continue to see the sport grow? And I think these are big questions that we really have to answer. And I think, um, you know, racing's at the point where it does need to change. And I think it is changing in terms of its appeal and its proposition. Uh, and it, 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 you know, it's one of these very emotive, particularly if, maybe it's just the people I follow on social media where they're constantly endlessly arguing about racing but I think as a product it needs to evolve and I think there needs to be much greater alignment about the number one you know sort of opportunity for racing is the schedule that's where the real opportunity and I think we can all admit you know height season of June July then big Saturdays it's it's so frenetic it's impossible to watch all the racing and you ask yourself, is racing really maximizing its returns at that point? I think there's an opportunity for us to look at it differently. And it's the same with the national hunt season. Um, and I think we are at a situation whereby we really need to sit down. Racing and betting needs to sit down because they're symbiotic. You can't separate them. And in my view, you know, we're the second outside of the owners, we're the second biggest contributor to racing. So I think, and you know, I'm conflicted here in that I have two opinions. I've got very much as a fan of the sport and then as the CEO of a betting company uh, who's the, you know, we contributed as public knowledge, a hundred million uh, last year uh, to race. And that's, an, it's, it's a huge contribution to the sport. Uh, and I think it's, it's incumbent on racing and bet to continue to work. And there's been lots of good work happening. And I think it, it, it's really important that we continue to evolve to, to modernize the, the proposition so we can take advantage of it in the, in the future. And it continues to grow from success, from strength to strength. Do you have any sort of ideas that you think racing should adopt? And, you know, you will have a view into sort of all of these different jurisdictions around the world. Um, and even I know you're UK and Ireland based at the moment, but we could all see what's going on in the UK, US and Europe, etc. Are there any things that you see overseas that you think that's that's a great idea? That's a great um, plan, strategy, whatever. Why doesn't British racing have that? Yeah, like, whether that's overseas or not i suppose the one thing i've seen overseas particularly in australia is the level of uh, syndication in horse racing ownership that's in the in, in australia versus the uk i think that you know we need to grow the ownership um pool of people in the uk it's, it's quite a small group uh, relative to the size of the industry the amount of people who own horses it's quite small and i think Growing syndication is a great way to get people into the sport and grow the sport. And I think Australia has done a particularly good job of that. And I think that's definitely something we should learn. I think the two areas that I come back to, to answer your real original question about the international dimension were racing is the proposition. What is the customer proposition? Uh, and the second thing is the schedule, which I'm, I'm not going to let go of that. But the customer proposition, I think, is really interesting. What we have to do, is, and I think racing needs to think about it, it has to start segmenting the audience a lot more. So there's people who go racing who are there for the form and they would much prefer being at a two, 3,000 meeting on a Wednesday than the 40,000 that's crammed into the Evo or, the, you know, any of the big race meetings because they just don't find the experience the same. But there yep. are the purists. But there's so many different segments. There's those that go for the social occasion and how we tailor for all them audiences. I think it's absolutely critical. And I think it's things like <clears throat> within the proposition, we need to demystify uh, the terminology within the sport it's really complex uh, you know the amount of people who go to a race meeting that can't understand a race card but we don't do anything about it we don't try to simplify it 
and, and we have to appeal. You know, and it's a similar uh, vein for betting, right? The people who bet in the Grand National or one-off event and they use an app and they go, this is way too um, complex. Um, and it's how do we break it down and make it more simpler, you know, the proposition and really get people behind that. And I think there is a lot of progress uh, happening in the background uh, with certain groups within racing. And I think there's a lot more to do with the proposition. The, the final point for me really is, and talked about this, is the schedule. And I think we have to really assess how does the sport um, maximize its returns? Uh, and I think the schedule is, is fundamentally critical to that. And, and, and part of that is it's complex to change schedules, but I know there's been a lot of work. People are trying to reduce the fixture list. People are trying to move things around. You know, an example of that for Skybet and Gamer was the Sunday series. Uh, where Skybet backed that as a new opportunity to try and target that Sunday evening audience to see if we could we could grow the sport in the summer and, and it's had some really interesting results as, for us as a business and I think there is opportunities for innovation in the sport and I think that's where we've got to continue to push that, that innovation boundary it's absolutely critical. And two follow-up questions on that um, firstly presume that the Sunday series and um, the plan is very much to do it again next year it's been very well received in the industry um, and also by plenty of people who are betting on it. That, that uh, to the best of my knowledge, it only finished last Sunday, and I haven't had any decisions to hear otherwise. But yes, it's to kick on and then continue to develop with, you know, all of the partners that have come into that and worked. It's worked really well. ITV have done a fantastic job, and they're doing a great job showcasing the sport and trying to break the sport down um, more. And again, they get criticised for that, but you know they are trying to bring it to a broader audience, which is ultimately what this needs, whether people like it or not. It, it needs a bigger fan base. Lovely stuff. And um, what are your thoughts on the Racing League, which, um, you know, because we now have, uh, or we have had for the last two weeks, um, Terrestrial Racing on a Thursday and a Sunday, and the Racing League is, I, I wouldn't say the same, but one might say that similar-ish concepts in the sense that you've got good quality handicaps, for pro good price money in full fields. Um, you found the Racing League, you support that vision that they've got? Yeah, look, I think for the racing league, you know, there's been a real commitment to increase prize money, which I think from a racing perspective is really important because that's what we need for trainers and for to go through the whole ecosystem and, and, and for the owners. Um, I think it's been it's it's changed in concept within year, you know, year and year. And I think even myself, I'm not very close to it. I, I know there's the captains and the teams and the locations, but I think it's it needs to keep it as simple as possible for people so they can continue to understand the format. And there's an investment there and a commitment to do this for a number of years. So I think uh, people will need more time to get up to speed it and keep, I think the concept of increasing the prize money and trying to drive that is very much welcome and a great idea and initiative and to be applauded. But I think just keeping it simple because it's sort of changed year on year. And I think it has caused some confusion from the, the bits and pieces I've seen. But I think overall as an initiative, it's it's what racing needs and there needs to be more of it. Um, just for, I think it's very fair sort of answers. Um, just a last couple of questions on this. Firstly, as a pun to yourself, I don't know if you've ever had any sort of difficulty getting on, but there'll be plenty of people uh, watching this who will be a bit upset that I haven't asked sort of um, questions about why can't I get my bed on or, or whatever. Um, are you finding that you're getting more and more complaints about people for restrictions for any reason now than say five years ago or, or 10 years ago um and do you think that it is going to be a growing problem sort of for the industry people being turned off because they don't get the betting experience that they think is fair 
this is possibly one of the most hugely emotive topics uh, we're going to discuss and I'm glad we didn't shy away from it like the reality isn't you know I follow many of the professional punters and, and people and I love the betting and recent talk on Twitter uh, and, and you can see it and look anecdotally it does feel like there seems to be an increase of it but we're not seeing it in our business uh, and I think you know it causes so much emotional debate the reality is there's a very 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 small subset of customers who are actually restricted there really is and and you know i think what people forget is if we restrict a customer and we don't restrict the right customer we're losing revenue so it's not in our interest to do that um but i think certainly in recent times there does seem to be a bit more noise around it um when I, mean, I think it's something that you know, I spoke to my own trading team and, and, and I said, what is actually going on at the moment? How do we know that there isn't an increase in a spec? And it's something we have to monitor and continue to track because look, we need these punters because otherwise the market will ultimately contract. Um, and there, but you know, we can't lose sight of the fact is the reality is for some, they are going to get restricted because they take advantage of offers and promotions that are there for the vast majority. Uh, and it's not just the promotions and the offers. It's you know we we are a commercial enterprise and we we have to make decisions that are based uh, on 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 that and, and we can't lose sight of that. But I think this issue tends to get blown up a little bit more than it actually is. Um, but I think there's there's definitely something that we need to look at as, as an industry uh, and and continue to hear what the consumers are saying and making sure we're getting it right. Because if we get it wrong, yeah, I think it it, it is it is definitely a problem. Um, thank you very much for your time today, Colin Grant. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and uh, congratulations on the long innings at Flutter UK and Ireland. Thank you for watching this edition of Betting People.